This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. In this episode, I am going to be interviewing Cindy Everett, who is a CFO and mom who also has a couple of really cool hobbies. And in case anyone is wondering, they are not running hobbies. We have been accused of late of having a lot of people who do serious running as their side thing on this podcast, which we plead guilty to. We we love running. And so we are always looking for people who are doing awesome things in that field. We love to talk about it. Sarah's doing a lot of really cool running these days. But we wanted to talk with somebody who not only had a very intense job, but who also made time for other things. So Cindy's going to talk a little bit about being a docent who leads architectural tours in Chicago. And she also hosts a WWE podcast with her husband. So if you ponder whatever projects and time you might spend with your significant other, that is certainly one way to guarantee that you are going to have a lot of time together as you are attempting to get your episodes out frequently. I know Sarah and I spend a lot of time together. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's like a multifocal hobby too, because yeah. obviously she has to cultivate her WWE passion. And then there's the whole creation of the podcast and spending her time with her husband recording it. So that's like a, that's a really, that's a lot of a hobby. That's It's a lot of a hobby. Amazing. That hobby is doing a lot of things for her right now. So anyway, we think you will love hearing from Cindy about her life. Because yeah, it, it really is cool to make time for something other than work and family responsibilities. And even if it does take a reasonable amount of time, it's it's often, it's not that much time, right? Like, you know, if, I mean, Sarah, how many hours are do you think you are spending running per week now? Oh, I mean, I know for, it's like eight hours a week. Eight hours. Yeah. So it's eight, which is a lot, but that is an hour and 10 minutes a day, right? So if you consider that there are 24 hours in a day, I mean, obviously she bulks it a little bit more on some days longer than others, but it's still not all your time. And I can say the same thing of singing. Like, so during the school year, I have rehearsal from seven to nine on my choir practice nights on Thursday. And if my chamber choir is meeting, we'll sing after that. So it might go to 930. And during the, you know, during the school year, again, I sing on Sunday mornings and I go at nine, we rehearse again, we have the 10 o'clock service. So, you know, we're talking, depending on how you're counting, it's four hours or a little bit more per week with the time I then spend practicing, you know, four to five hours a week. And so it's not a small amount of time, but again, it's it's less than an hour a day for something that's a pretty, you know, feels like a fairly large commitment. So I think it's important to keep those things in mind that you can actually fit a lot into a busy life. And you can get multiple things out of your hobby. Like with your singing, you're getting some social time, that's you're getting true. out of the house, you're practicing a craft, you're like... And like, we think of these things as one thing, but actually they can, and I'm sure again with the WWE, like it brings her many things. Yeah. Yeah. But was it WWE? Does it WWE? <laughs> what is it? We're going to find out from Cindy because you definitely <laughs> don't want to find out from Doesn't me. Doesn't it say <laughs> Was it WWF at some point? I forget. <laughs> I feel like it changed. I don't know. It changed. Yes. I, I think we talk about this too. All right. Anyway, this <laughs> we'll hear all from Cindy about it. Here we go. Great interview. Let's go for it. Well, Sarah and I are delighted to welcome Cindy Everett to the program, who is a listener of Best of Both Worlds. And so we're very excited to have her on. So Cindy, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Thank you, Laura. My name is Cindy Everett, and I am a mom, a CFO, and a podcaster along with my husband. And I'm very excited to be here today. So thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, we're really excited about it. And you have two young children, right? I do. I have two boys. One's five and a half and one is three. So it's basically like having a Genevieve and a Henry running around. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty close, actually. Yeah, yeah. Is is your oldest in school yet? or No, he's wrapping up pre-K right now. So we'll be starting kindergarten in the fall. Yeah. And and you live in the Chicago area. Have you been there long? Uh, Yes, I've lived in the city. I'm in the city proper. I've been here about 15 years did the first seven years on the north side, uh, then met my now husband, who was a born and raised on the south side of Chicago here. So we're still in the city limits. Chicago has a rule that if you work for the city, you have to live within the city of Chicago. So I'm, my husband's a teacher. We Our neighbors are all you know policemen, firemen, a lot of first responders. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's well, it's kind of a probably a good thing to be uh, living in the city where you are, <laughs> you are serving. So, yeah, we were excited to have you on because uh, you, I mean, obviously you have a a great career and family and all this stuff, but you also have two really cool side projects that we wanted to talk with you about. So the first one 
architectural tours. So tell yes. us all about what you do with that <laughs> and, and how that came to be. Sure. Yeah. So for the past 12 years, I have been a volunteer docent with Chicago Architecture Center. So they are best known for their boat tours, but they actually offer over 85 different tours around Chicago, you know, either walking or on buses in addition to the boat tour. And I also have a tour that I do where we ride the elevated trains. So it's always been kind of a, a hobby of mine. And then when I moved to Chicago, you know, back 15 some years ago, I you know, did the boat tour, got interested, did more tours, did some of the bus tours, went to Oak Park and did the Frank Lloyd Wright tours and just found more and more. It was, you know, an interest of mine. And at the time I was working in uh, public accounting for one of the big four. So long hours, a lot of, you know, higher stress environment. And like Gretchen Rubin says that reading children's literature is her tell. My tell is I'd come home and want to look through my architecture books and look through my Chicago history books. So the same week in September of 2020, sorry, 2010, where I put in my notice at public accounting, I applied to become a docent for Chicago Architecture Center. So I, I felt like, you know, I'm also an obliger. I need that external accountability. It was something I was really interested in getting involved in. And I saw becoming a docent really a way to, you know, learn all the history and learn everything that I was interested in. Which is a really involved process, it right? Was. I mean, people are like, oh, volunteer gig, well, I'll just go in. But you actually <laughs> have to really learn a lot to to lead expert tours. On yeah, that. absolutely. So there was a written application. I had to do an in-person interview with the panel. The program started in January of 2011. And they basically, the program's changed a bit since I went through it, but they essentially said it was the equivalent of an archi- of a college level class in architecture. So we met, you know, for eight weeks every Saturday from nine to four for in classroom training. And then we also had assigned readings. Yeah, it was like a college class. We had a syllabus every week. We would have to do three or four, you know, write ups of different buildings that were on the tours. So it would be write 500 words about the rookery, write 500 words about the Bananak, read these articles about Chicago history. And of course, I'm loving all this because this is all what I was seeking out anyways, content wise. And obviously, a lot about, you know, crowd management, tour management, you know, public speaking, because we write our own tours there. Every tour has a manual, but I don't have a script that says, first, I'm going to read sentence X, then Y, then Z. We're given core topics, and then we have to write our own narratives and our own notes when we're leading those tours. So, yeah. And then then before before I'm able to give tours to the public, I had to get certified from another docent. So I just didn't take people out and tell what I had for lunch today and kind of make up my <laughs> facts along the way. And then every five years we're required to be uh, peer reviewed to make oh, wow. sure we're staying current. Yeah. So uh, a lot of uh, rigor to this, to this volunteer gig. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really want to do it. And so what sort of t- the tours that you yeah. led, like what, what do you tell people about? Why don't you sure. share some of the, the fun things oh, we would learn? Absolutely. On, your, on Cindy's <laughs> tour. So the one that I do three tours right now, one is a walking tour of downtown Chicago, specifically on the skyscrapers that were completed uh, 1880 up through the early 1900s. So this is a time of great growth in Chicago. And one thing that's really interesting about that tour that I always tout is it's not like D.C. where it's government buildings. It's not like Europe where it's churches. A lot of the buildings that we talk about on that tour are actually commercial office buildings. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's and many of them are still functional office buildings. So you think about when you want to make a building you know, profitable, something rentable in the 1890s, what does that need? So you have really small light bulbs, right? Electricity in the late 1800s is not the greatest. So you want buildings with big plate glass windows. You want uh, Chicago is very common for design buildings to be designed around a light court 
So I'll say a square donut and you'll have either a window that is out to the street or into that light court to get that natural light. There is also, these buildings were mainly like speculative where it would be a group of investors coming together to invest in these buildings and they want them to be rentable, beautiful, manageable. So there's one quote I use that say, you know, a, a building must be ready with its cost or there'll be no investors to to pay for it. And I always joke that, okay, if you have a building that's very beautiful, but not making money, it's not going to be around for very long. If you have a building that's very functional, not beautiful, it's not going to be featured on an architecture tour in a hundred years. So that walking tour is really great to get the, both of those, those uh, feature. I almost said best of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it is, it is. You have to have the beauty yes, and the functionality. It's yes. truly the, the best of both worlds in the architecture sense. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then you go into some of these lobbies, which they wanted to be the showstoppers. And there's some beautiful lobbies in downtown Chicago. If you're in town and get a chance to go in the Rookery building on LaSalle or the Marquette, over on Dearborn or 135 South LaSalle is a great Art Deco lobby. It's really cool. And something that, you know, you walk by those buildings maybe every day on the way to work and you don't realize that there's these beautiful Tiffany mosaics 10 feet away from where you're walking. So that's why you got to go on a tour. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. It's great for people from out of town. And even when people from Chicago take the tour, it's really fun to share those little hidden gems with them. Absolutely. And, you know, so when on earth do you do this? I mean, you're supposed to be giving a certain number of tours regularly um, as part of maintaining your knowledge and, and your practice mm-hmm. with it. And here you are a CFO and mom of two young kids. So where does this fit in yes. uh, to your life? So I feel like with, with my tours, it's more maintenance phase right now, thankfully. So the, I'll, I'll get to the other tours that I learned, but one of them is about 10 minutes from my house. So that is in the summer. That's a neighborhood tour that runs May through October. So I, I lean heavily on the Beverly tour of getting my tour hours where we are required to do 10 tours per year. Every tour that you're certified in, you need to lead at least once. So I always try and get a good mix of that historic walking tour I was telling you about. I always try and get in three or four of the elevated tours. And then in the summer, I'll always do the the Beverly walking tour. So yeah, it's, it's very right. It's like anything else you have to plan. You have to be intentional about when you're doing this. I have have my planning sessions with my husband on Sunday. And that's always something we're thinking about is when we're going to record our podcast, when we're going to, I'll go into that more later, when we're going to watch our matches and also when I'm going to be out of pocket doing tours. So it was a little tricky around pregnancies, right? So my first was born in October of 2017. So that in that case, I did have enough time to get ready and I didn't have any kids. So I'd, I'd go every weekend and give tours, you know, I had no problem getting my 10 uh, second baby was born in April 2020, which ended up being a whole other kind of direction we went in. But the plan originally was to get you know four tours done before I by March of 2020 before I got too big to be uncomfortably walking around downtown Chicago for an hour and a half. And then the idea was then to pick that up in the fall. However, the that ten tour requirement was waived for 2020. Yeah. Thankfully, well, I could imagine a few are tourists in general too. Right. Yes. I will say in 2021 on my neighborhood tour, we saw pretty good good numbers that summer, I think, because a lot of other opportunities weren't open yet. Yeah. But, but if you're walking around outside, mostly, I mean, with a lot of this sort of exterior stuff, exactly, least, it, it would have been something that people could more safely do. So that's, that's right. pretty cool. Right. Yeah. We, 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 left, we weren't allowed to go into the lobbies for a period of time, but thankfully, we're allowed to get back in the lobbies, which is great because I love talking about those lobbies on that historic awesome. tour. Well, we're going to take a quick ad break, and I will be right back with Cindy Everett. Mm-hmm. 
This podcast is brought to you by the new film Ezra from Bleecker Street. Directed by Tony Goldwyn and with an incredible ensemble cast that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, Whoopi Goldberg, Rose Byrne, Rain Wilson, and Vera Farmiga, along with newcomer William A. Fitzgerald, the film is an endearing and often funny story about Max, a divorced father and stand-up comedian living with his father and struggling to co-parent his autistic son Ezra. When forced to confront difficult decisions about the future, Max and Ezra embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Ezra is an endearing and often funny exploration of a family determined to find their way through life's complexities with humor, compassion, and heart. Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving. And according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity. Only in theaters nationwide, May 31st. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Thrive Cosmetics. I am a speed demon when it comes to my makeup routine. I have approximately five minutes, or maybe three, between showering and starting my routine of getting the kids out the door for school. And so I'm always looking for products to keep things super streamlined and easy for my everyday look. Thrive Cosmetics for years has been part of that. I've discussed the Brilliant Eye Brightener before, which is a serious workhorse for making me look more awake. But lately, I'm also super into their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. It's a tubing mascara that lengthens lashes and is super easy to remove as well, which is key because my makeup removal routine is just as streamlined. You can feel great about shopping at Thrive because for every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. So refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash bestof. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash bestof, B-E-S-T-O-F, for 10% off your first order. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and Roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Well, we are back with Cindy Everett talking about architecture in Chicago right now. So, Cindy, you have a few more fun facts from your tour that you want to share with us that uh, we're all going to learn something new here today uh, that we can share with our spouses tonight. Yeah, sure. So my first fun fact is that after the Chicago fire in 1871, most of a lot of that debris from the fire was actually pushed out into Lake Michigan, and that forms what is today known as Grant Park. So it's basically push all your landfill into the into the lake and now we have this beautiful park that we get to enjoy. 
Hey, that's a good outcome, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> and as you, you know, also on that same theme that the whole Chicago lakefront is public property from the northern boundary to the southern boundary. There's Oprah's building, old, old building Lakeshore East is east of Lakeshore Drive. But other than that, all of Lakeshore Drive is open for people to run and bike. And it's a great place to plan to play in the summer. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Anyone who's gone along there. It's really beautiful. I mean, Chicago can be very cold and windy through (laughs) big chunks of the year. Um, You'll notice that she was not necessarily doing so many architecture tours in January, I guess. True, but you would would be surprised when people are coming from literally all around the world. If they bought tickets to a 10 a.m. architecture tour, they are going to go on that 10 a.m. architecture tour. Bundled up, bundled up. So I've I've had to give in tour in all all sorts of, of weather. Yeah. Uh, sorry, what, there was one other, the, the tour you were mentioning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then my other fact, well, I guess a couple other f- facts from my other tours. So my neighborhood tour, I really love Beverly, the tour on the south side. So I recommend everybody to come take that if you're in, in town. And that is actually the highest natural point in Chicago. Chicago is very flat. But when you're in the Beverly neighborhood, you have hills, you have this beautiful ridge where a lot of the movers and shakers of their time built their their mansions. And one person actually built a replica of a Irish castle. <laughs> so we have, yes, at the corner of 103rd and Longwood, we have Chicago's only castle in wow. our neighborhood. And then the last tour that I lead is the elevated tour, which is a lot of fun to actually go up on the trains, get a really unique perspective of the buildings of downtown. We talk a lot about the history of the elevated. One thing, I don't know how fun of a fact this is, but the, the elevated was actually started as four different companies, all privately owned. Yeah. And they weren't actually taken over by the city of Chicago until after World War II. So all throughout the, they all started in the late 1890s and they were privately owned up until 1945. It's funny thinking about it, you know, somebody would be advertising their line versus something else. Like, Absolutely. don't take his line to oh, work, take my line well, to yeah, work. You some, exactly. <laughs> so if you see some of those old maps, like from the 1920s and 30s, there's elevated stops, like literally every eighth or a quarter of a mile because they wanted you to take the elevated and not a bus and not a streetcar. So they had, Yeah. So high what, level of service, I guess. I, yeah, well, very slow level of service. So yeah, after, yeah, well, that's true. yeah, in 1946, that's when the Chicago Transit Authority was formed. So they took over those buses, streetcars at the time, and the elevated lines, and they really streamlined that into one system that would work together and not and not competing, right? So you didn't have a stop every every five minutes. <laughs> I mean, think is transit a natural monopoly or is it not? I don't know. It's a it's a tough question. Mm-hmm. But getting to your entirely different other <laughs> cool hobby, let's talk WWE. Yes. <laughs> so tell us about this one. Sure. So I'd say as much as I am passionate about Chicago architecture and history, my husband is equally as passionate about WWE or, you know, World Wrestling Entertainment, World Wrestling Federation through the 90s. So that's something that he grew up on, was really always interested in, in watching those matches and ever since we've been together, and it's always been a fixture in our house that he's been watching wrestling in some way, shape, or form. So in the late 90s, early 2000s, he would post on you know the internet message boards, as we were all want to do. <laughs> there was one called Place to Be Nation that eventually turned into a website, and he started contributing there, kind of doing weekly write-ups of different shows and reviews. He would guest on a lot of their trivia shows and podcasts. And then in 2019, they were running you know just a, a poll about the best greatest wrestler of all time. And they were doing lots of advertising and pod lasts for that. And so he proposed to them a podcast where he is the deep kind of has the instant insiders, very like knowledgeable perspective. And then with me who has is the novice and has no perspective or appreciation for what's going on at all. So that's how we pitched it. They said, great, 
come aboard. And so every we produce monthly. So we've done about 45 episodes since the fall of 2019. And what's it called? What's the oh, yes. podcast? It is called With This Ring, which is our play. <laughs> <laughs> with This Ring. Yes. And it, with a married couple. Yes, doing it, right? exactly, yes exactly. exactly. Of course. Had to get a little punny. And then we are, a little punny. Yes. And we are hosted on Place to Be Wrestling Network. So we don't have our own feed. They just have one feed of all their different podcasts and shows. And we put in the there. I am very passive. I was telling you, like, I, I'm not... My husband's the one setting our recording schedule and our and our content. So... We've done it. It's been, like I said, a lot of stuff I'd never been exposed before. So I know all about, you know, Steve Austin. I know about the Montreal screw job. I know about a lot of people and events that was not a part of my psyche. Growing up, I never really watched wrestling, to be quite honest. I didn't really, really realize when I was a kid that it was, it's fake. Yes, they're really punching and kicking each other, but the intention is not to seriously injure each other. It's, it's like improv and stage fighting. And that's the other thing I didn't quite realize is I thought it was all very scripted. And some wrestlers do really kind of know beat by beat what's going to happen. But a lot of it is is improv. They know who's going to win. They know what the big moments are going to be. But they're not really choreographing it move for move. So I think once I understood that, I had a better appreciation for what they're doing and how to be that athletic and to you know run around the whole ring, the whole arena, and basically be improv with your partner. Yeah. So it's well, it's it's definitely a different art form than I. <laughs> it is. Yeah, and and so you've obviously had to watch a lot of it then, though, yes. to to hold your own in this podcast with your husband. Yes, I think I pretty much keep it to the basics. I can talk about I liked this combination. I liked the way that they were developing this storyline, and then Ryan can come and be like, "Oh, well, actually, it's because of X, Y, Z, or this is the way it was kind of set up behind the scenes." And you know, Owen Hart never wants to. You know, Steve Austin refuses to wrestle Owen Hart because Owen Hart broke his neck once accidentally with a pile driver. So, well, there you go. <laughs> they I are would no probably longer. not want to wrestle. <laughs> I wouldn't want to wrestle him either. Exactly. <laughs> so, what's it like to do a project like that with your spouse? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are like, well, I, I'm not into WWE, <laughs> but the idea of doing some project other than cleaning your kitchen with your spouse is kind of right. fun to think about. So, I mean, like, do you think this? brings you closer? Does it give you other things to talk about? Like, well, what, oh. how does it go? Yeah, it definitely has brought us closer. I've learned a lot about him because a lot of times, like he's you watched a lot of these matches when they happen. And I can be like, well, what was it like when you saw this when you were 12 in 1990, whatever, and I'll hear about what he was doing and what he was thinking at the time. So that's been really good. Logistically, I'm more of a planner, but this is his his passion. And he will all, you know, give us the, rec- me the recording schedule. We'll always know what's baked into our Sunday kind of planning for the week. He'll tell us we're going to watch these matches on these days. This is typically happening post 8 p.m. once kids are in bed. So it hasn't really caused a lot of friction in our marriage, if anything. Yeah, I think it's brought us closer. We've gone to a couple of shows here in Chicago. You know, when we travel, he'll find the wrestling or the sports events and I'll find the architecture tours for us to go to. <laughs> so yeah. You both have your things you're really into now. It sounds like a really yeah. cool project to do together. Thank you. It's well, we're going to take one more quick ad break and then we'll be back to hear more about how you make life in general work, your, your various um, strategies for making life more manageable. Absolutely. All right. So I am back with Cindy Everett, who has shared all about leading tours in Chicago of the architecture, her husband and her doing this WWE podcast together. Fun way to have a closer relationship with your spouse if you you do a project together. 
gives you at least a reason that you have to talk uh, right. fairly <laughs> frequently. <laughs> you always have a topic of conversation, your, yes. Yeah, record your conversations and share them with the world. So, Cindy, you've got a couple, you know, just tips of things you do that make life more manageable. So, first, your your dinner schedule. I mean, let's let's talk about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So, very similar to you, Laura, we have a very set dinner set schedule that doesn't vary that much. Takes out a lot of that that mental load. You know, Monday is just baked ch- chicken breast, Taco Tuesday, Wednesday. My kids call it kid dinner, which is you know chicken nuggets and those store bought tortellinis and. I will admit, I will cut up my chicken nuggets and eat them over spinach. So I feel like that counts. That gets more virtuous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not even that. I just, you know, to get those extra fruits and vegetables in. You know, everything's very customizable, right? With this stage of life, everything's a la carte in terms of meals. So Thursdays, usually either spaghetti and meatballs or breakfast for dinner. Friday's pizza. Saturday is, if we didn't, if I, usually the breakfast or dinner or spaghetti, if we didn't do that on Thursday. And Sunday is burgers. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> and everyone is fed and everyone is happy. Everyone's <laughs> fed. Yeah, there's usually on Tuesday enough taco meat leftover for leftovers. So yeah, I don't have a as strong of a strategy for lunch and dinner. Typically Sunday, I'll you know cook a bunch of quinoa and I can eat the taco meat over that or whatever protein we have leftover from the night before. So it really works. Yeah. And and you are a planning on Friday person I as am. well. I, I, I had to yeah, I had to shout out your throw a uh, CBT rule for planning on Friday. It's just what I've noticed in my organization is everyone's burned out by Friday afternoon. I'm usually relatively light meeting wise on Fridays. So I'll usually block out half hour to just go through my calendar for the next week, make sure the meetings that I want to be a part of are work with my schedule. And I also will make sure now that I have a team of four direct reports, if there's anybody that also needs to be in those meetings, or if I can delegate any of those that also gets added and then I think what's really helpful is I always plug up if I have, you know, three meetings and little half hour windows of daylight in between them, I'll usually block those off as little buffer times to make sure I'm not going back to back to back in too many situations. But yeah. yeah. Well, it's good to be able to see that ahead of time. I mean, that's the upside of the right. Friday planning is you're not like all of a sudden in that day and trying to figure out what how to optimize the schedule like that. So. Exactly. Yeah. And you have a, a routine of doing a little bit of, of housework um, yeah. after your kids go to daycare. How does that work? Yeah. So it's almost like same thing, less mental load. I have the set meal schedule. I also try and give myself a little set tour schedule. So I work from home when I'm not traveling out to our different sites. So most of the time I'm in our laundry room slash home office. So <laughs> I get, I drop them off at daycare and my kind of transition routine before I start to work is, yeah, depending on the day of the week, I have a chore assigned. So Monday is running the Roomba, cleaning up all the crumbs from the weekend. Tuesday is, yeah, wiping down the bathrooms. It's also nice because I have my iPhone set up at between 8 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. I have all my apps go dark, which helps with productivity. But I know if I'm cleaning and when my podcast stops, I'm usually listening to Best of Both Worlds or something similar. When that stops, I know, okay, time to go to work. Yeah, Wednesday is clean out my car, either the interior or exterior. Thursdays is sheets and towels. And then Friday is general cleanup. And we have an area of our kitchen that me and my, I'm looking at it right now, that me and my husband called Trash Mountain. That's where, <laughs> it's not like Trash Mountain, it's more like Recyclables Mountain. Yeah, like, recy- you don't keep the trash, no, it's the recyclables that ex- build up. Exactly. Right? Yeah, the, yeah. the corrugate, the chipboard that needs to get broken down, the milk, I just can knock that all out at once. And you know, it doesn't, I mean, our house is not clean by any means, but then at least mentally, I feel like it's stemming some of the the issues before they come bigger issues along with those maintenance items that have to be done, especially with potty training, the bathroom 
cleanups should probably get upped a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly more frequent. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're in that stage ourselves, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, having the routine means it never feels quite so overwhelming. And right. you, you also have some pretty good habits in terms of you have a happy weekday habits <laughs> list. So, so tell do. us about this. Yeah, yeah. That's posted up on the bulletin board above my desk. I, I mean, most of these are, are no brainers, but still kind of good reminders. So exercise every day, meditate for five minutes every day. I have a reminder on my iPhone at 1230 PM to go, go meditate. So I like doing that midday. I think Sarah does hers in the morning, but for me, midday at that point, the stress of the day is sufficiently piled on. And that's always a good reminder to take a break and step away from the monitor for a little bit. Same with journaling. I journal at night. I have an 8.30 PM reminder go off and say, okay, put your phone down, pull out your journal, write half the page, just once again, centering. And and I don't do every single one of these every day, but it's, I've noticed that days where I do most of them are usually, are usually good days. Yeah. Yeah. And one of those things is trying to learn something new every day. Yes. So how does that go about? Like, yeah, it's always some, usually something little. I being in finance, I love Microsoft Excel. I'm usually, I was subscribed to different newsletters. So I'm learning the shortcuts like F12. I'm learning XLOOKUP, learning functions in Power Query, a lot of, a lot of data oriented things <laughs> or architecture. What yeah. does F12 do? Oh, F12. <laughs> if you're in Excel and you hit F12, it brings up the save as menu right oh, away. Yeah. I bet it probably works in Word too. I'm I'm not really a Word person, but. No, <laughs> well, who knew? Now we know. Exactly. You guys are learning all sorts of good yes. stuff on this podcast. Architecture, wrestling. <laughs> and F12. Excel. Yeah. <laughs> all, all my interests coming together. I love it. Yeah. Drink water, read for fun, you know, cut talk with family, friends. I always try to make a point to be silly with my kids, right? I think sometimes you can get into kind of the barking orders and just more the tactical. So I really try every day to, you know, play a game, be silly, do Pictionary, play charades, just do something that's not a tactical, put your shoes on, sit on the potty (laughs) type conversation and say with my husband too. Yeah. Well, and I love that you set the alarms. I mean, because Mm -hmm. it, you know, be like, oh, I'm going to meditate at some point. Well, what does that even mean? Or, you know, like you have to bring it to the conscious part of your mind. And obviously if 1230 happens and your boss is sitting right there. You're not, you're not going to have to say, excuse me, I've, I've got to go meditate. <laughs> but it, at least it, you know, forces a decision. Like, am I going to do it? Am I not? Right. And you know, that's, I have an iPhone so that the reminder stays there until you clear it, or that's how my phone's set up anyway. So if it doesn't happen at 1230, then at one o'clock, 330, whenever I get in the break, break of the action, I can go do it. Well, Cindy, this is awesome. We always end, as you know, with a love of the week. I can go first. I guess I was in my love of the week, although I was I was joking with Cindy earlier. It's a love hate <laughs> of the week. Costco. I went to Costco over sort of lunch today in between calls. I had just enough time to get there and get home and get the frozen stuff in the freezer. Everything else was left on the counter before I had to get on the phone again. But it's the place you can get 40 batteries mm-hmm. for $14. And it's just really hard to pull that off anywhere else. So We've gotten better about it. Like we make a Costco list now and I just right. try not to get distracted by the fact of like, oh, I could get <laughs> I could get 24 packs of Kleenex you, too you while I'm here. I mean, I'm sure we'd use them at some point. I'd be like, no, no, no. I am here yes. for batteries and Cheerios. And, and the CFL <laughs> in me has to say, you don't want to tie up your cash and inventory, right? You don't need inventory. <laughs> yes, true. Well, you know, I guess sometimes I feel better with having lots of inventory. I guess it's a different optimization problem, but... 
Right. That could be another episode. (laughs) That could be a totally different episode of of whether we are optimizing cash or not. (laughs) But yeah, Costco gets a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So Cindy, how about you? What's your love of the week? Sure. So I'm sure you've heard of Wordle, right? The very popular game. My sister-in-law recently told me about Wordle, which has been, yeah, been very fun. It it shows you that it's an app. It's not as sophisticated as, as Wordle, but Wordle will basically show you the outline of a country and you have to guess what country that is. So, (laughs) and you get six tries, much like Wordle. So it'll show you, let's say Canada. And let's say your first guess is Mexico. It'll tell you you're you're off by 2000 kilometers to the North. And then you get (laughs) to keep guessing and guessing. So it's actually been a lot of fun. And my my older son got an atlas for Christmas. Oh. So we'll pull up a, a world all together and we'll find the country and then you'll do the capital and the state flag, the country flag. So it's been a really fun way to get a good refresher on, on world geography. Yeah. I was going to say, some are probably easy. It's like Italy. You got that exactly. one pretty easily, but then it's like Gabon. Oh like, yeah. I, I know. know so many more. <laughs> yeah. African countries, South American countries. Absolutely. Yeah. I got to brush up on that. Yep. All right. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So that was awesome hearing from Cindy about her very cool life, being a CFO and having amazing hobbies as well. So today's question is a listener who has been offered a job at a really awesome, prestigious company. The one caveat here is that she would be the only remote employee. So not that everybody is in the office, you know, five days a week, nine to five, but they are all in the same place. And so people are coming in and out of the office and some people are working from home occasionally, but it's they're there and she would be in an entirely different location, different time zone. Should she take the job? So or, you know, whether she should take it or not, you know, what are things she should consider? So, Sarah, what what were your thoughts on this one? So. I feel like the time zone is a really, really big deal. So I think understanding exactly what that would mean for your working hours is really, really important. Because let's say this was a job like in Asia and there's like a 12-hour time difference. Well, are you expected to be at your desk and available for Slack channel messages from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m.? Like, obviously, that would be a complete deal breaker. I think in most cases... It wouldn't be asking that, but you'd want to specifically know, okay, like when am I specifically expected to be at work or is this all project-based and I'm doing it completely on my own time except for two meetings a month where I have to be synchronous or something like that. I think you'd really, really want to define what this means for your hours. And then I do think I want to point out the idea that like if very few people are just you a remote and everybody isn't, that's a really different culture than if everybody in the company is remote because if everybody's remote, then probably they're going to do things to like maybe have fun meetings in cool locations every once in a while so people can see each other or do some virtual things that bring people closer together or just at least everyone's on the kind of the same playing field. But there is something I think you'd want to be careful of if everybody else is kind of intimate and knows each other isn't in the same place and you're like this other. I think that could be just a little bit psychologically difficult. And it would be something you'd really want to delve into. Well, how can I actually feel part of this team? Are there any plans to kind of integrate me into this team? And would it bother me if I felt kind of separate? So those are my two thoughts right off the bat. Yeah, I think the time zone one can be fine. It's just going to require a lot of planning. I mean, again, it's a different if you are Asia versus something that's maybe less time zones apart. Like I think you know, if you're in California and everyone's in New York, that's slightly more doable than if you're in California and everyone's in Spain. Like, that's just a very different set of hours. Because as long as you have some overlapping hours of the business day, 
you should be okay because people just need to plan to have their synchronous conversations with you from, say, nine to noon and and then understanding that things will have to be set for when you go offline at, at that point that then other people are still working. I think there's also the consideration, are you just going to be out there on your own forever? Or, you know, sometimes like the question is, are you being brought in to build a team, right? Like if this like an early stage company or something, and if you are building out a functional area, that's entirely different, like, because then you'd build it with you, right? Like you could, you know, have it in your area and hire people that you could then see and lead that team. Even again, if people are working remotely, if you were all within an hour of each other, you could decide to get together once a week or so. And and that would be a very different experience versus you being that satellite forever from the mothership and that would be something to consider. I think if you were really serious about taking this job, you might want to get yourself to the headquarters fairly frequently, at least in the beginning. So that's the question of, are you willing to do that? Like, are you willing to go to this place for a week at a time every month for at least the first six months or so? And then at that point, you probably will have built a lot of those relationships and it might be more doable, but I think you would really need to invest that time up front to make it happen. And so asking yourself, well, yes, this is a remote job, but would I be willing to be sort of not so remote <laughs> for a little bit until I feel fully integrated into the community? So yeah, those are some things we'd consider. Feel free to let us know if you have a job that fits this description, if that has worked for you, if it didn't work for you, considerations you thought about when you decided to take it, et cetera. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Best of Both Worlds. I've been interviewing Cindy Everett about combining work and life, being a CFO and having some pretty awesome hobbies she's doing as well. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.
Gillette. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.